Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome to Adventures, Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I'd like to introduce Howard Rose. He is a veteran of the VR industry, designer, entrepreneur, and part of the First Hand Technologies, focusing on virtual reality for healthcare and other types of technologies that help you with educations and the like. And we'll keep this short and sweet because we've got a lot to talk about with Howard. And so without any further delay, I'd like to introduce Howard Rose. Howard, it is good to hear your voice. Oh, it is great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Of course, of course. Um, I, I know that you're a VR uh, veteran in the space. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing you around. Were you at, did you go to the Oculus Connects? Um, I, I know I've seen your face around a ton. I feel like we, we swam in the same circles, but we may have just never like spent too much time together. Yeah, well, I'm always swimming in circles. So um, <laughs> if, yeah, if you, if you see that fin out there in the ocean going like this, that's me. Um, yeah, I was at Oculus Connect a couple times. Uh, mm -hmm. I was the first one where I was very excited to see. Uh, I was sitting in a session and they flashed up a big, a big picture of Snow World, which is an application that I worked on for many years uh, mm. with folks out of the University of Washington. So it, it gave, it warmed the cockles of my heart uh, to it. see, to see that, um, and it was really exciting to see that kind of used as the. Um, really the, the one of the strongest justifications for using virtual reality in pain relief and helping people with uh, health problems and therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing Snow World as well. Um, I remember uh, I was out there for Oculus Connect as well. And uh, the it's really interesting because there seems to be a, a lot of major use cases for being in virtual reality and medical. Um, there's a lot of reasons why that makes a ton of sense. And, but also it's kind of a lot of new knowledge because I know there's there's groups that are getting into that now. But you were ahead of that. I mean, back in the day, how did you get um, into virtual reality and pain management in the medical space before you know Oculus even had their Oculus Connect? Yeah, I guess I was doing VR before Oculus invented it. Um, <laughs> so uh, do this briefly. Uh, mm. I got my start. Um, in uh, virtual reality at the University of Washington as a grad student in the Human Interface Technology Lab that was run by Tom Furness. And um, Tom has always been a, an interesting meta, uh, mentor for me. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, if you don't know Tom, he is, uh, you know, sort of the godfather of virtual reality. He's the, he's the person who was doing it very early uh, before or at the same time as Ivan Sutherland in the uh, in the military, and then he joined. Uh, he left the military and uh, started the Human Interface Technology Lab, the Hit Lab. So I had the joy of of that's how I got into it, um, and it was such an exciting time to be in, uh, you know, this budding field. Mm -hmm. uh, it worked. Uh, the headsets weighed a ton. Uh, they were, but, but it was exciting. I mean, you just, you really didn't care, <laughs> um, except when you put it on a child's head. I mean, we had a headset that weighed seven and a half pounds. And, um, 
and um, we called it the pizza box. But uh, yeah, so I was working on a project called the Virtual Reality Roving Vehicle, the VRRV, yeehaw. And uh, it was um, the project to take virtual reality mm. systems out into schools and teach kids to build virtual worlds and give them experiences. So um, yeah, I was doing my, I did my graduate work in education, oh, educational technology, and uh, that's always been near and dear to my heart. That's that's great. Yeah, <clears throat> that headset sounds like a scoliosis maker. Oh, yeah, see. well, the, the experience of, uh, we had them chasing sharks uh, and, with a net. That was like one of the applications. And the, the first experience of VR was like this. <laughs> <laughs> their necks couldn't handle, their, their little necks could not handle the seven and a half pounds. It, but they were excited. Yeah, uh, yeah. The kids, kids will struggle with any can like especially with virtual reality they will endure so much if they are engaged with what they're doing so even if they have to hold up their heads i mean i've you know demoed vrs to like six-year-olds where that you know they're just wrapping their arms around the headset trying to hold on with you know i don't the idp i'm sure is off and all that jazz but they'll suffer through lots um in order to do that yes and they're they're still forming so hopefully we're not we're not hurting them long term. Just a little, just a little yeah. drop in the bucket. It's not, as you know, they didn't take it home with them, you know. And uh, yeah. in, ter in terms of the education, I, I did an educational hackathon years ago, where it was, uh, it was all about learning and growing and building a part of our community. And this guy took like a, a Wii controller and hooked it up to a skateboard, and you would dodge sharks. And then when you hit a shark, you'd blow up. And I was like, this is great how is this education and he's like well sharks are bad and they're dangerous so i'm teaching you that <laughs> actually sharks are not bad and that's a problem <laughs> okay oh i mean sharks sharks are essential uh, you know sharks get a bad rap mm -hmm. but um i mean they're very uh they're important species they're important but anyway. but they're also top of the food chain so i i agree with you fully but would you swim next to one in the open ocean is the is another I have. I, you have? I scuba dive. So oh. when you see sharks, they're they're amazing. But anyway, now we're talking about sharks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's not my fault. But you know, I think that I think what your example raises an interesting point mm -hmm. about education and VR. So, um, you know, we learn by doing. Mm -hmm. I'm a, a, you know, I believe that we, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of, you know, do it, don't just talk about it. Mm -hmm. And virtual reality is a great way to understand a phenomenon like physics or math or something to get an intuitive understanding of it before you go to some sort of abstraction like an equation or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, the thing about VR is that it is a pre-conscious experience. So the reason VR works mm -hmm. is because it is pre-attentive. So if we had to put mental energy into making it work, we wouldn't get presence, we wouldn't get immersion, we wouldn't get all the cool things that we got. So kind of what you need to understand is that it is by nature pre pre-conscious. It's going straight into the lizard brain. And when you do things 
you can, you know, my, my motto for, of course, health and for education, do no harm, right? Mm. So it's really easy. It's tempting. I mean, it's totally cool. I totally get it. You know, it must be, it must be really fun to skateboard and blow up sharks. But, but like, let's not call it education, right? So um, <laughs> I totally agree. And it, I mean, it was one of those things that he's like, he's like, look, I'm gonna do this because it's fun and I want to do it. And I'm going to find an excuse to do it, which is, I think, why a lot of people do virtual reality. They, they get into it because it's fun and exciting. And there's a magic to this, you know, that sense of presence that you never had before. And then they, you know, they try to bolt on whatever they find interesting and then call it a thing. You know, and I, and I've seen that. I mean, they do it in the medical space. They do it in so many other spaces. Um, people get into it where they, they, they're like, uh, I come from a background of doing film work, so I'm gonna do 360 film, and so I'm gonna bring that into the space, even though it may or may not have a space for it. They're 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 trying to bring the thing that they're passionate about and what they're good at into this new meeting that excites them to try to find a home that they fit in, right? And so, it, sometimes it fits, and sometimes you blow up sharks. You know, it's just how it goes. Um, yeah. With 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 that, with preconscious, are you talking about? Um, you're experiencing it before you get a logical chance to feel it. So you're talking about like embodied cognition type of stuff. So you're, you're, you're getting direct sensory input from your body versus actually processing it to your brain first. Is that what you mean by that? Or am I off the mark? Well, um, our senses work. Are, so we have very, very robust sensory systems. Mm -hmm. And if you think about where you're sitting right now, Think about your chair. You're mm -hmm. sitting on this beautiful gaming chair, I see. But like, you know, we don't pay attention to our body connecting to the chair, but it's connecting all the time. So attention, so the sensation is there. We just mm -hmm. ignore it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch about our environment that comes in and we only have a certain capacity in our brains to focus on, on what's important. Mm -hmm. So while we're looking over there, I mean, there's the very famous invisible gorilla, you know, the invisible gorilla where they have, they did the, you know, they're playing basketball and they're throwing the basketball around. Then they have a gorilla walk through the video and then they show it to people and people don't notice there's a gorilla. Mm -hmm. Right. So <laughs> I love it. The invisible gorilla is a great example of how so much, you know, we filter. And so the pre-conscious nature of VR is really a, about the phenomenon of presence and immersion. Presence and immersion work because they go directly to our sensory systems, our visual systems, our physiological systems. We, we get a proprioceptive sense that the, the space is real. It mm -hmm. creates a space. Mm. Um, that's, that's really exciting and it's wonderful. On the other side of that, what it means is that a whole bunch of things are coming in uh, that we may or may not pay attention to. But we're getting a lot of different messages. Uh, you know, we're getting a lot of different messages from the environment, from the design, from the, you know, here's a great example. Think about product placement in VR. Mm -hmm. Why does that, you know, Chevy keep driving back and forth, right? You know, I don't pay attention to it, but it's there. I don't pay attention to that billboard. It's the smell of cookies. So, it, you know, it 
there's all sorts of things that can seep into our our sort of pre-conscious awareness. Mm. And, uh, there's a lot of beauty to that. Like that's why that's something we harness uh, that I harness as a designer for building health applications uh, to help people get motivated, to help use, to help them in lots of different ways. And the flip side of that is you got to be careful because what you're showing them, uh, you know, can have a real lasting effect. A hundred percent. So I, get, I see what you're saying there. Excuse me. With the, with the, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility being a designer. Apologize about that. There's a lot of responsibility about being a designer. Responsibility. Yes, yes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, or possibly, <laughs> possibly uh, Ben from Spider-Man. Uh, it's <laughs> it's an it's a it's a very powerful thing because you are taking over someone's um, entire senses. And and I know when we were doing a lot of hackathons back in the day, like horror hackathons or things that terrify you are super easy um, because you 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 can't even put your hands over your eyes um, <clears throat> and it can be traumatizing but i mean essentially as a designer the whole point whatever you do whether you're writing plays for or you know you're writing screenplays for movies or you're building you know the next candy crush uh, it doesn't matter as a designer the whole point is to make people feel at the end of the day, you're giving people sensations of feelings. That is what they're that's what they're going for, which is a great responsibility because you can design whatever you want to. And the most powerful impact, um, the most powerful system you can use as a designer is virtual reality in terms of like total takeover. Um, so you want to be wary of that. Have you have you seen that going? Have you seen that go terribly awry on your side? Has there been situations, uh, whether something that you have built or someone else has built that had a overall uh, negative net negative impact on somebody because of uh, improper designs. Uh, well, I can give you some examples of things I've seen, but I, you know, I think there's there's sort of three there's some observations that are pretty interesting. One is that, uh, um, you know, we put people into virtual worlds, mm -hmm. kids and, and adults some, but. And they come out and they will tell us they saw something that wasn't in the world, um, that something happened that actually doesn't happen in the world. But they, especially kids, they'll fill in a lot of details. Huh. Um, like, I went for this monster and it did this. And it's like, well, the monster doesn't actually do that, but that's okay. Uh, so there's sort of the way that we fill in details. Mm. Uh, a very real world non VR example of that is uh, if you look at like witness uh, sort of um, witness testimony. Oh, and reliability of witnesses and how they can fill in details about an accident. People have done studies. Elizabeth Loftus has done some great work and some other folks. But like we will fill in details about the car that we saw hit the uh, pedestrian, uh, even though they didn't really happen. So the, in virtual reality, that's a potential that we fill in details that aren't there. Um, you know, another one is agency, is the ability to control things. So uh, we can sometimes feel like we have control over things that we don't have control over um, just by virtue of 
the way the thing is developed, the way the thing it, it works. Um, you get the illusion. Um, you know, a very simple example is putting somebody on a rail moving through a, an environment. Um, they'll sometimes think they're driving, you know, or not, you know, that they're in, in control in a yeah. way that they're not. So why did you go into that room? Uh, oh, I wanted to go there. No, actually, you were taken there. So, uh, you know, these things, uh, you know, they. I don't want to make them out to be like super sinister, mm. but they're aspects of the experience that we as designers should understand. And um, in terms of other applications, I don't really want to call specific people out, but, um, you know, I think I've seen, let's just say I've seen things that have been, um, they, they, they are quote news, uh, you know, real reenactments or real experiences of, of going to this refugee camp or of yeah. this, domestic violence thing or of this other thing. And the reality is they're not real. The reality is that somebody planned exactly what it is and the perspective. Um, and they they did it for a sort of a dramatic reason usually, like mm -hmm. they, want, they want you to get a certain feeling. But um, as you said, with horror, I mean, Scaring somebody in VR is the easiest thing to do in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to frighten people. It's just not, it's like the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and, and I think that there's a way in which um, things that pretend, or let's say, not say pretend, things that um, claim to have mm. some uh, veracity, to claim to have some basis in this is how that event happened at war this is how that event happened here by just by virtue of what you show and don't show you are deliver you know you're you're imposing a bias you're saying why did you show it from this perspective um if i want somebody to feel like x country is in chaos i can do that very easily i can put them in a place that may exist, that may have happened, but they could be at ground zero. Like imagine if you were at ground zero at you know the World Trade Center mm. and, and said that was what the United States is. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, that's an oversimplification yeah. and probably nobody's going to do that, but you get the idea. It's like yeah. if we did that in Syria, we yeah. did that in Kosovo. But it's also the, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, you're, you're talking about a couple of things, right? I mean, anytime you have creative license and you have a, 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 a piece of art that may not be factually accurate, but emotionally true. So certain things that maybe didn't really happen, but you really want to give that sensation of the people being there, you dramatize it, you dry, you, you know, you, you go up on it. And, um, I guess it ultimately comes down to like what is the 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 effects of that if it's if it's to get people to empathize to take action support a cause donate now whatever that thing might be I mean it could ultimately be for good if you're if you're uh, allowing people to to generate more empathy that will overall decrease real life human real world suffering All right so 
Um, yeah, but who, you know, just to throw it out because we're having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, what if I'm a white supremacist? I mean, I'm not everybody is benevolent. And, uh, you know, how does race get portrayed? Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at how race gets portrayed on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who get to, you know, history is owned by the people who get to tell it, right? So if you think about augmented reality, yeah, and you're putting layers on top of our environment, you could be, um, who, who gets to say who the, you know, whose history gets told? The one who writes yeah. it. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's whoever, whoever writes it, you know, whoever, those stone tablets we found in Egypt, who knows if they're true or not, they're just, ex- they just exist. I mean, and that's the same, the challenge with that, it's whoever is got the, the willingness, the tenacity, the gall, the, the whatever you want to call it to, to, to create an experience is the person who you're now going to live through it. And every single story that has ever been told has been told through the lens of someone else's perspective. So like, if I tell you a story, like we, the way that we communicate knowledge and information and emotion is through storytelling. And the way storytelling is done is from human to human. You're never going to implicitly remove any of those biases of the person telling the story, whether or not they're white supremacists or whether or not they're uh, in, insert any of the things that you do. I just don't know how it, it, the, the challenge is, is like it, it stories like VR, like any other thing is a tool in technology. And so like with a knife, I can, I can, you know, cut a car seat uh, thing and free someone from a burning car, or I could stab somebody. It's, it's, it, the, the problem is, 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 is it's stories and VR are, are still just tools being used by the end user. And what they do with it is, you know, for good or for ill, it's a magnification of human intent and will. Right. And so, you know, we're not perfect, you know, so I just, I, I don't know. How would you get away from that? Like what you, would we, would we bar all white supremacists from using the technology or how would you like, what do you do against a situation like that, that, you know, that's a powerful technology and you know that stories are going to be told that maybe don't necessarily uh, benefit mankind. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't run the zoo and nobody's going <laughs> to ask me if, if, you know, X person can use VR. Um, but I think, uh, so the point is, uh, it's an important question. How do we, how do we get the good? How do we get the benefit? And how do we minimize, uh, you know, all of that problem behavior? How do we minimize the the negative impact? How do we, Howard? (laughs) So I think there's two pieces. One is the responsibility of designer and other is educating and creating literacy, media literacy among the people who experience it. Right now, today, most people have not experienced VR. And if they have, they've done one or two things. Mm. Um, And so I think it's uh, it's our position Mm. to try to explain this in ways that make sense and ways that don't seem reactionary and you know luddite, but that really help people understand 
what a virtual experience is. And so part of the work that I'm doing is trying to figure out how to translate that both to help designers mm -hmm. to um, create better virtual experiences and also to help users go, okay, I, like number one, all VR is not created equal. Like there's good VR, there's bad VR, there's like stuff that'll make you sick. You know, there's lots of, there's, there's a huge range. It's like saying all movies are the same. They're not all the same. Uh, so I, is to help people develop the sophistication and the, the vocabulary and the ability to say, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay attention to some of the things that I probably wouldn't pay attention to otherwise. Uh, like, is something like trying to influence me in a certain way? Uh, you know, the way I put it is that, you know, you think about the cell phone, right? So the cell phone, there are, there are billions of people and things on the other side of this phone trying to break through that screen and influence me. Like social media bots, Russians, <laughs> you know, yeah. You name it. People selling people selling widgets. Imagine what happens when when that's not a screen that's outside of me, but it's something that I'm in. It's the water that I'm swimming in. And so just like we have some really negative fallout of social media, but we're not trying to get rid of it, what we need to do is to help people to be aware, to, to filter, to understand that not everything there that pretends to be true is true. Uh, and to develop that sophistication around virtual reality, which, as I said, is a pre-conscious experience. So you have to bring a little more extra consciousness to it. Yeah, and it's definitely, with new technology and new data, humans need time to climatize to the situation, desensitize their sensations. If you give a five-year-old a cell phone for the first time and just let them go off the deep end, it's going to take a long time for them to kind of, it's a lot of power to be put in a little one's hands that they have no ability to emotionally control who or what they do um, inside the experience. And VR definitely is a magnified experience because you're now taking over the, the entirety of their reality to go through it. <clears throat> How do you, from a designer's perspective, you know, do you have like your 10 principles for design? How do you, how do you educate designers on the importance and, and um, the, the importance and the care that they need to create when crafting these experiences for people? Is there, do you have them laid out? Is there an overall motto or like what's, what does that look like in terms of, because there's two sides, educating the public and educating the people that build things for the public or the private. Right. I, I actually do have my 10. <laughs> I'll spare you all the 10, but I'll give you, I'll give you a few of them. Um, I think that uh, number one is you really need to understand. So let, let me, my bias, my, my perspective is I am trying to use virtual reality to help people be better in some way. Love it. And it's up to them to decide what better is, but that's to either healthier, better, smarter, stronger, more resilient, more mindful, happier. Um, 
So I'm really interested in uses of VR that take you from here to here. Transformative. And, right, that are transformative. And so and entertainment's great. Uh, but it's not what particularly I'm talking about, but it is relevant. So number one um, is really to understand. So I totally agree with what you said. You, to change people, to help people change, people change when their stories change. And so you think about how you change someone's story or how you help them change their own story, really. Um, and there's an element of persuasion here, but you know, we're really trying to help people find their own, construct their own knowledge. So um, number one is to understand the target story that you want to change, really understand who, you know, where those people are and what is their story, kinda, and I can give you some examples, but, and then what is the target story that they're gonna, that we wanna change for them? So let me give you an example. So we, um, I designed something, we worked on a big project, it's called Attack of the S-Mutans. Uh, so people can find it at attackofthemutans.com. Uh, we built this uh, VR-based museum exhibit uh, to teach, to try to get children eight to 12 to take better care of their teeth. And we got uh, funded by the National Institute of Health and did a big research project with the University of Washington Dental School. It's a big project. We did it at the Pacific Science Center in Seattle. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was super interesting. So it's a, it's a public health initiative, trying to get people to take better care of themselves uh, great motive. We got a group of kids who are, they're tweens. They think they're immortal. They're not going to listen to anybody, especially mom. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time talking to these kids, watching them brush their teeth, uh, you know, talking to them about what they thought the story was. And like, you know, so I can't, I can't, I need to know exactly what it is and where the levers are. So I think the first thing that we as designers need to do is understand that the users is not us. It's not, um, they could be very, very different. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really the fun and exciting part. I think it's, I think that's actually super interesting. So number one, understand the target, understand the audience and the target you want to change. Keep your story simple. Like, it, it, so Attack of the S Mutants is uh, very briefly, uh, it's about why you brush your teeth. You brush your teeth because there's these things called biofilm, which are all these bacteria that live in this really cool way. The more you know about bacteria, the more, more frightening it is, but the more interesting it is. And they, uh, they poop out acid onto your teeth. They, they, uh, they- uh, Acid poop. They, yeah, they're acid poopers. They, they turn sugars into acid. And that acid is what burns your teeth, what creates cavities. So teaching kids, not turning into microbiologists, but teaching them that, you know, that sugar plus time plus acid equals cavities. And you take away any one of those, you get, you don't have cavities. So that's a pretty simple thing. A plus B plus C and equals problem. Uh, you know, so uh, the, the user's not you. Make your story simple so it sticks. And um, 
you know, I think, of course, we want to make it fun. Uh, but I do think that we really need to understand how, like, there's an element of psychology uh, to this about how people change. We yeah. need to, the more you can found your, uh, your activity based on um, uh, some sort of sound tested theory and then measure it, uh, I could go on. But, but so basically, there's a lot of things that we as designers can do if you take, take the task seriously. And VR is just an endless trough. It's an endless well of possibility. There's so much we can do. It's just wonderful. We're, I mean, we're literally building worlds and universes of our own design and imaginations. We are becoming gods in this virtual land that you put people through. So then ultimately that's, you know, that is some of the challenges, the uh, responsibilities, you know, and, and beauties of having to build these worlds. Um, and what's interesting with these kids as I so when you're, you're talking about, uh, it just created such a visual for me of, of, acid pooping on your teeth, these bacteria pooping acid on your teeth, um, how easily, say what? Lots of fart sounds, yes. I, I, I bet, and, but that would get the kids to resonate and pay attention and get that. Um, there's there's two things I wanna to touch on, right? Is two things, because stories are a part of identity, but then you're also talking about measurement, right? Those are, those are, two, those are two issues right there. So you're talking about not only changing the story, but behind that underlying story, you have an identity structure that's built up about the about the person that removing that 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 story you have to remove that identity and that's one of the biggest challenges you're coming from because that's that, that enough of those stories stack up in identity and then how do you measure one how do you change the underlying identity that is supported by said story and then how do you measure the effectiveness other than people placating you and marking yes i totally feel transformed now on on, on the final survey so how does how do those two things uh correlate with your design Identity is an interesting word because it, I mean, I, I think there's some ethics about persuasion that, that are definitely uh, worth thinking about. But uh, to kind of skip over that, side. I think that, yeah, who wants to talk about that? Uh, I, I think that, um, uh, okay, let's do the, the, let's do the other piece first. The, the, it, Listen, self-report is, mm. is terrible. Yeah, you can't you can't ask somebody, especially a kid, did you learn anything? <laughs> uh, but you see it if you if you are judicious and and have some experience doing this, you know how to ask the questions, but you also know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And if one example that just comes to mind is we had a kid who. Uh, in an exit interview, he said, uh, it made me want to brush better. And so he got the connection between, uh, A, he got the connection between his experience and his own behavior. He didn't say it made me want to brush more. Mm. It made me want to do what I do better. Um, and the great thing is that once you have that sort of flash of, um, that flash of, realization mm -hmm. and turn it off. You can ignore it. You can say, I'm too tired and I'm not going to go brush, but you can't get rid of it. And I think that that's, that's what we want to, when you talk about changing people's stories, um, it's really about, uh, you know, I, 
I have this observation on the word story. So mm -hmm. story is has both a sort of a, a knowledge and a wisdom component, like the like telling stories and they get passed down. It also has a kind of a structural piece to it, like the stories of a building. Mm -hmm. And stories are both simultaneously the way that we understand the world mm -hmm. and also the way that we store information in our brains. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I pull out my stories. There's a psychological word schema or whatever, but I pull out my stories and apply them to my experiences uh, about the world. And that's how I get through life. I, I have, I have ways of, of understanding and reacting and responding and acting. So um, it's both the way, it's the unit that we keep, that actually we store things in our brains, like the myths and the archetypes and all of that, the hero's journey, which is something that we can talk about. But, uh, and it's also the way that we, it's the way that we interact with the world. So when you change somebody's story, um, or you help them change their own story, you are, you're, you're hopefully elevating them. You're not necessarily tearing down, but you're like giving them that flash of, oh my God, I, I had no idea. Like I'm brushing my teeth, but I'm kind of wasting my time. Uh, I'm not coercing them. I'm just saying, hey, did you think about the poop? on your teeth. <laughs> that's what's going on there, dude. And then they go, wow, that's really gross. I'm going to go yeah. brush my teeth. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you don't, you're not a, you're not a, because we're talking about just briefly touching on ethics, forcing someone to do something is one thing, right? That's a, that's a dictatorship. That's all the things that we in America who truly value freedom above all else, autonomy, are vehemently opposed against inspiring people to be better is the name of the game, right? You inspire them by showing them a better story that allows them to be able to take action and then be able to form a new identity through that action and that story, right? Going through that. Uh, what I'm curious on is you, you, you talked about that. You're right. I, I didn't think about stories in a building. I thought about your, uh, the way that we operate through our lives is a series of stories. There's a series of stories of, of, what this podcast means to you, what the, what the what the guitar behind you means to you, what 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 all these different stories mean, and that that is the way that we perceive the world because we are we are running through reality with our own virtual filter wrapped around us, our our own perception, uh, imagination. Some of them are stronger than the others. Some people completely live in the world of imaginations, and sometimes it goes into a psychosis and all those other ones. And other people can change the world because of that. Right there, Steve Jobs was famous for this. So these are these are you know, it, for good or for ill, inspiring someone to become better in your own definition is is a is a noble and worthy task. Uh, how does that relate? And uh, without like leading the witness or anything here on this, talking about the hero's journey, right? And how does that relate to you personally? For for let's just say for the applications that you build in relation to the hero's journey before I go into a bunch of other things. Yeah. Um, well, so the hero's journey for me is a great source of ideas and inspiration about how, um, how 
people's stories can change. Uh, I mean, the hero's journey, just to, just to kind of go over it, is that there's a separation, there's a transformation, and then there's a return. Mm-hmm. And the, so there is inherent in the hero's journey a transformation. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole bunch of archetypes for hero's journeys. Um, you know, just a few of them. Overcoming self-limits is one where the hero realizes that, you know, they were limited by fear, limited by something. Uh, They find a hidden strength that they didn't know they had. Uh, Stronger together is a big one, um, which I think is really important, uh, especially in, you know, in the context of, I believe that virtual reality needs to move beyond just being an individual experience. Uh, most most of it's still very individual and isolated, mm-hmm. uh, but we have tremendous social intelligence. That uh, you know we we are smarter together, and we need to build applications that enable us to take advantage of that. And stronger together is another you know transformational you know. Uh, mechanism, Mm -hmm. the inside of the hero's journey. So for me, when I look at the hero's journey, um, I'm looking at it as a way of how can I use that? How can I use that? uh, You know, what happens in that story? uh, How could I use that and apply it to help kids be healthier, adopt better health habits? stronger together there are the corollary there is social uh there are social theories of um of change uh and the you know role models for example developing role models or developing you know a sense of self-efficacy that you have this hidden power that you didn't know about um so it's kind of an interesting lens on thinking about that and developing some new solutions yeah, there's definitely some things there because I mean, what you're doing is you're 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 more or less you're outsourcing your stories stronger together, right? And and there's like there's a weird thing because humans, we are this individual unit that is completely independent uh, against the world as well as we are a collective organism. Just look at the internet, look what we're doing right now. Um, j- together, we're coming across. We are telling our individual stories to each other, inspiring each other and anybody else who may or may not be listening uh, to other types of story models that they, they wouldn't perceive. And so we are these weird individual units, but also a balance of these collaborative units at the same time. And a couple of things you're talking about is the yin and the yang, my own internal beliefs, right? And then letting go of my internal beliefs to believe in the group and the whole and being able to shift that identity from... Uh, I can't do this to, well, I'm a part of this group and I'm going to do it because I am a part of this group. And the group identity is stronger than the self identity, which is, which is allows an easier transition and that transformational change. Right. So, so that's part of the reasons why that, that is so powerful is you, if you're looking to transform, find a group that's doing it and model their behavior and, and then use social pressures to keep you to do the, the thing that you need to get done. Um, that's, that's <clears throat> part why, but that can be good or for ill. You can you can learn to brush your teeth, or you can go join a cult, you know, as as it is. But that but that's part of it, right? Cult, there's culture in that. So, how do you 
because I completely agree with you, by the way. I think where we're all moving to is a virtual world of a shared ecosystem where we're all inspiring each other together and we can kind of raise that social standard so that there will be that piece of the virtual metaverse that happens as well as many other pieces that we don't wish existed, but, but that's because we're humans and that's what we do, the whole autonomy thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can only push in the in the positive directions the, that I see and with the power that I have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, the vision of the metaverse aside, I think that where we are now, and you look ahead and you think about 10 years down the line, um, and what COVID has done for for digital experiences, it's definitely uh, propelled some some big change. Yeah. Um, I think we're going towards, uh, you know, a, a world where VR immersive. Like I'm, I really don't just, I don't draw strong distinctions between VR and AR and whatever mm -hmm. are whatever are the art du jour. Um, but I think that that those things are going to be much more integrated into the rest of the digital technology landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to, like enterprise and business applications are going to be really where the, the, the biggest uses are. Um, you know, entertainment, cool, it'll be there, awesome. But uh, I think the real power of VR is in helping people to be better when they take their headset off. And if we design with that in mind, not to imprison them or not to, you know, be so sticky that they don't take it off, uh, I think that that is, that's the goal. When they yeah. take the headset off, I want them to be better. Love it. I, I completely agree with you. I haven't heard of the the art is your uh, before, so that's the first one for me. I appreciate that. I've heard many of the other R's along along the path, so uh, that's a new one I'm gonna put in my 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 catalog. What would you like ultimately for for you? Like, what are the areas for you are the hot areas that you would like to affect? I mean, if you could wave a magical VR wand and and help people transform, you know, what are the couple of major areas that you're you're deeply passionate about human transformation? Well, I'm, I am really passionate about education. I think that uh, most education is done so poorly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just to, just to say it. So that guitar back there, uh, wherever, <laughs> that, that acoustic guitar, I built that guitar when I was uh, 17. And I went to a guitar building school in Tennessee. I left high school and I went to build that thing. And it was the first real thing that I ever did. Uh, you know, in school, you to all these word problems and this and that. But like when you're building a guitar, if the neck isn't straight, it's not straight. You cannot, you can't bullshit yeah. a piece of wood. So, uh, you, and you learn patience, uh -huh. you learn something real. And then, you know, all these years later, I still have my guitar to play. I That to me is the archetype of what experiences can be, that they're not, they're not just transformational in themselves, but now I, I understand how that thing works. I understand the physics of it a lot better. I understand how the sound is produced. I understand, I have all of these things 
that I bring with me. And, and I think we need to, you know, let's just not, don't recreate the damn textbook in a virtual world. My, you know, my, my graduate research was in teaching Japanese in a virtual world. It's, uh, I built a thing called Zengo Sayu, which is about teaching language in a fully immersive experience. Uh, that was many years ago, very bleeding edge, but um, it, it's, uh, it really taught me a lot about, you know, we can be very different learners. We can mm. be very different people. We can be a lot more open and receptive and virtual reality, digital experiences should be designed to support that. Yeah. Well, it's great. What's awesome about the guitar one, you know, big guitar music fan and all, all that stuff. I have my guitar over here to the side. I didn't build it. I didn't build it. Um, it was passed down to me, but what's, what's amazing about what you just told there is that that, guitar is a totem of your transformation. It is a is a physical icon for you to look back and reflect of all the lessons learned in case in that guitar, right? So you have all the memories, you have all the ideas, you have all the structures, and you've, you, you got a sense of mastery from that, that taught you all the critical things that you need to need to know, um, you know, being unbiased about the facts, uh, being able to learn patience and and persistence and all the things and if you can if you can if you can master one area of your life you know with it could be with a guitar then you can you can take that to many different areas so if you're successful in one area i think there's like um the book of five rings talked about this if you can understand something broadly you can understand it narrowly or maybe i butchered that quote but the 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 point being is that like you mastered one area then you can teach it the other subsects and i i agree that with virtual reality, you can definitely do that. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't just put a whole bunch of books inside VR and have them read. And you shouldn't have people just type in VR um, as people that spend time in VR could tell you that typing in VR is horrendous. Um, so education, absolutely. Education is kind of a precursor to transformation, right? So without, without education, you can't be transformed, generally speaking. Hence, part of the stories is emotion plus education equals story. So what, again, and I'd like to kind of dial back into it, what are the areas or subcategories in terms of education uh, light you up the most? What are you most passionate about teaching um, or, or designing so that um, the next generation can experience it and become transformed? I'm very, um, I tend to be driven by problems, interesting problems. Uh, I think climate change is one of is of course the biggest challenge that the the world is facing, and it requires a lot of behavior. Mm -hmm. um, it really changes to our behavior and our habits and our norms, uh, and so it's a very global thing, but it's a very personal kind of change. I think that that's that that says to me that's something interesting. Um, I think language, that I'm very interested in culture and language and I studied language learning a lot and, and how, what I think is interesting is it's the medium, language is what we use to understand the world. And Japanese is the only other language I speak. So I, I only understand two frames, 
but uh, I know those two those two languages are very different for me, yeah. you know, like English and Japanese. And so it's um, I I Americans are terrible at foreign language, right? <laughs> it's like I studied French in school. It was a it was a it was a mess. Um, but uh, you know, I think that that things cultural. Uh, historical things that things that bring us together are are also really important. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty agnostic in terms of I give me an interesting problem and I'm like, you know, on it like a kitten with a mitten. But uh, it's I, I do think that that I'm driven personally. If I get to choose, I'm driven by. You know, climate change is huge. Racism is huge. How do we create experiences that are going to address racism? And the, I mean, we've got, we have more problems than we can, uh, than we're able to solve. So I, those are, those are just some. That those I, are great. Uh, a couple of things. I studied Japanese for a couple of years. I went to Japan for a little bit, not too long. Uh, Osaka, Tokyo, places like that. And I was with a Japanese family. Um, beautiful culture. I, I you know, I, I can probably order a beer and go to the bathroom still. I got, I, I've lost a lot of the, the language. Um, but there is, uh, some of my other friends that are more deeper in the languages and everything that they, they were talking to me about, you almost have a personality shift when you switch from languages, when you switch say from Japanese to English, you're almost your identity shifts. So some of my friends that speak more of the Latin languages and they shift back and around, they almost have a a, a personality shift because of the languages that they learn and, and, and the mindset that they have when they have that. Have you noticed, have you seen personalities or identity shifts as language changes? Yeah. I mean, I, I lived in Japan for seven years um, and I, yeah, I mean, yes, definitely there's a shift. Uh, you know, I, you are sort of a different person the kind of like I, I gave up trying to be Japanese. It's just like I that, that yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, and but uh, you know, um, I I I'm very much connected to the culture. My son is half Japanese, and uh, you know, it, so I'm very invested in uh, you know learning and trying to to talk to people. I think that, uh, yeah, it's a different personality. Uh, you know, people would say, your Japanese is good, but you don't, you don't talk like a Japanese person. Like I, I, the things that I think about and the things mm -hmm. that I say are, are not, I mean, like I can, I, I can, I can pass, but uh, I don't, I kind of, I think it's fun to sort of, be that, you know, be that changeling, be be in the middle. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful place. I love Japan so much. And uh, yeah, it's great that you had that experience. Yeah, you definitely went deeper than I did on the Japanese train. But it's, it's one of those cultures, um, without going so deep in it, but it, they got an amazing knowledge of the past. And they have a. Uh, they also have very future focused. I mean, their VR game is strong. I would say in terms of people that are going to come out with some very intense 
um, immersive experiences. And there's there's a lot of reasons a lot of reasons for that. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's one of those cultures that it's fascinating. A lot of my friends that are in the te technical spaces, they all they all fall in love with the Japanese culture. Um, at least there's a group of us that do that. Um, one thing I want to touch on uh, just a little bit about climate change. It's one of the hardest things for, I would say, in terms of design. It's one of the most important things I think you could be designing and building for is climate change um, because of the catastrophe. But in terms of game-like empowerment for humans, it, it, it involves all the things that we're bad at in terms of it's it the things that we do affect climate change on a day-to-day -day basis uh, operating a car and all the packaged goods and all the, all the things that we in our system it's already built in and ingrained in our system at the same time we are very very difficult it's very difficult for us to see these long-term changes where we're just a drop in the bucket and we have very seemingly very little effect on because it's like well who, what does it matter if i i drive my car if i don't drive my car or what is it you know that kind of thing it's it's very it feels like there's not like if you could if everyone could vote and like flip a switch and go I vote for save the world and and fix climate change and they could just flip a switch I think everyone would do that but because it's such a global problem we feel so small it seems like a very much like going to Mars is like a gigantic challenge right how would you like how would you break that off like how would you inspire people how would you create this global shift to avoid the catastrophe that is climate change, and what would you like? What would you do with that? Yeah, one of, one of the other challenges. Um, so I've done a little bit of work in this area, but one of the one of the other challenges is that the changes that you're talking about are there's a huge impact to a degree mm -hmm. of, of warming, and um, and that. You know, we're used to thinking in, like, if you look at typical games, you know, you're getting gazillions of points, right? We like big impacts. We like big, well, I, I want to see the score, like, roll up, right? It, and one degree just feels anticlimactic. But it is it has a huge impact. And two degrees, I mean, we're hoping to keep it, you know, below two degrees, right? So, um the other problem is that not just you are one speck, but that the problem itself is at a scale that people just don't understand. So I think that I think that people, you know, just like people change when their stories change, I think that people need to understand both the interrelated nature of things. Mm -hmm. Not just that that affecting the climate in any way, in any significant way, has all these downstream effects. And so if you think of it not in terms of we're going to get you the, you know, what's what is the story I want to change? Mm -hmm. the, the story I want to change, I think one of them is that somehow it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll be okay. I don't live on the coast. Uh, yeah, some people are going to get flooded. I don't care. But like, it's going to have, you know, the the glaciers in Greenland were, were 90 meters. Now they're 30 meters deep, thick. 
and there it's already happening, right? So what are the, it's really to understand the relationship, the interrelationship, the connected web of life, that if we do something over here, it's going to have an effect over here. And it's, then you can, then you're not like trapped in the, in the degree problem, right? Mm-hmm. You're, the problem of showing real science, you know, like real science-based things and trying to be true to it is that sometimes, A, it's a lot of complexity, like, and we, and our models aren't great, um, but they're getting better. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, so if you want to stay true to the science, then you, what you need to do, you need to find ways that uh, it can work in your favor. And that really takes a bunch of study. But like, for example, you know, reducing the, the number of cars in half is a huge social change. It's going to have some effect, but like even, even the, in the, in the 20, in 2020, the, the consumption, the driving was way, 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 way down. And we did, we did okay. We did better in some areas. But like overall, we didn't solve global warming, and so that gives you a that gives you a sense of the the magnitude of change that we really need to do. And then you know the the positive impact of doing things like solar, and um, how you can have a positive effect, how you can do something that will make your life better, will make that does solve the problem. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's that combination of selfish and, and selfish. Right, and that's what you really need both because you're, you're talking about if you're moving up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people are like, hey, I'm just trying to find a way to put food on the table. I'm down here, and you're worried about the the world, you know, and and this 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 bigger pl- problem. While I'm just trying to survive, and so that, that focus is different. So, trying to find a way to to integrate because I mean, when it happens and it's here, we're we're all going to care about it, and we're all going to be like, why didn't someone do something about this five, ten years ago? And but, it's here. No, it's here. I know. It's- I, I live in California. You live in California too. Now we got smoked out for weeks. It is here. Mm-hmm. It is not like down the road. Well, uh, what do people? What do people do about that? Like, like, what is the action that they can take? Do they just stop driving, or what? Like, if, if you could transform everybody, because I mean, caring is one thing, right? I, every, I think everybody generally cares that they want the world to be better. I think every, but for the most part, minus probably you know, big oil and gas or one of those other ones, mostly want the world to 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 say, hey, if I could wave it and every car would be electric, boom. If I could get solar on on every roof, boom. How do we? Like, like as, as designers, how do we, how do we make it something that's both selfish and selfless and gets them to, gets them to, to move store? Because I, I, I agree this is an important issue. I, I just, it's such a big task and an undertaking trying to think of how to, how to accomplish that. You know, how, what's the, what's the, what's the bacteria poop acid on my teeth story for this? You know? Well, I, I, I do not believe that most people care. I think that a lot of people care. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully a tipping point of mm-hmm. people care, but there's clearly a lot of people in government who just don't give a damn and they just want to pretend that it's not happening and they go, Oh, it's too expensive. COVID is a great example. 
we have a crappy healthcare system in our country. We spend $3 trillion on healthcare. We have the worst outcomes of any developed nation. 17% of our GDP is spent on healthcare and it sucks. Mm-hmm. And we can't even mount a very cohesive you know, vaccination program for COVID. And the social inequities and the ethnic you know, inequities of the effect of COVID it's because we have a long-term health uh, care deficiency in so many, so many subgroups in the United States. And so, you know, what's the relevance there? The relevance there is, is people going, well, we can't afford a good health care system. We can't afford that. Now look at what, you know, the impact of not having a good health care system is. Global warming, same thing. We can deny it. We can't afford it. We can't afford the Green New Deal. We can't afford that. We can't afford that because the economics drive their interests. Um, and the you know, there's a lot of people working on this, mm-hmm. both from the science perspective, from the social perspective. Uh, it is not an easy problem. But what I think, what can VR bring that the others can't? Uh, or that that other medium can't uh, maybe can't do as well, mm-hmm. uh, and I I think it is um, the so one of the foundations is that there's a lot of skepticism about sources of information, and oh I don't believe it it's the New York Times there are a bunch of lefty liberals blah blah blah. blah. Um, and there's something very immediate about VR where I, it's somewhat of a, you could kind of roughly group it under suspension of disbelief, but I interact with it in a way, it's that pre-attentive, pre-conscious kind of thing. I interact with it in a way and it, it kind of sneaks in under my filter that goes, I don't believe in that. Um, where you say, and you have to be honest, right? You can't, you can't like just try to sugarcoat it or try. I think I am, you gotta be honest, right? You gotta be true to the science. You gotta be true. You gotta have integrity. But if I think the principle is to show people, you know, what's the corollary to my uh, attack of the S mutants. I think the corollary is to get people to um, to open up. To I mean, first you have to recognize there's a problem, and in, in some ways you can bypass that. You can just say, "Hey, here's a system. Here's a planet. It's not our planet. It's somebody else's planet. Look what happens when uh, you know." And you, you can play with it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're on planet Snog. And on planet Snog, the atmosphere is like this. Uh, and it takes a long time for that atmosphere to coalesce into something that will support life. We've got like, I mean, you know, you, you, you look at Spore and games like that, but they didn't, they pulled back from, they didn't make a, a, a real statement about that. Uh, I wish they had, but um, I do think that there are ways that you can create allegories and use metaphors and uh, use other techniques to kind of get in. But that's, that's the skill of being a designer yeah, and being true to your topic and really trying to do it well. 
Yeah, it seems like, I mean, one of the, the, the pinnacles of, of design is if you can create transformation in your users, right? And, and, and give them hope or inspiration or abilities or actions or ways to get them. I mean, that's what a lot of documentaries are about. They're about like, here's this big problem. Take a look at this, take action now, right? And that's, you know, that's, it's a, it's a noble pursuit. And, and it, you know, much like VR, it's not like all of a sudden overnight, everyone went to bed and they wake up in the morning, like, oh, VR is a thing. Like you being in the space for a long time, me being in it for a while as well. It, it's like lights going on in the city. It doesn't all happen at once at night when the sun sets, but over time, everything comes on. So I think we're all awakening to the problem that is climate change. It's just if you can expedite um, by using VR as, as a technology, as a mass tipping point, where all of a sudden it, get, it gets caught on fire like Gundam Dance. Remember the old Gundam Dance, that, that whole thing? If we can, if we can instill that uh, that um, emotion of, oh my God, this thing is coming. It's a, it was very visceral when you said it was at 90 meters and now it's at 30 meters and you can see that thing going down. It's like watching our 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 you know U.S. debt skyrocket. There's some ticker tape somewhere aboard going up. If there's some way to show that and be able to, and everyone see, oh, if I just take this one action each day, then I help, I help with this and try to spread that out. It's just, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those, it's an, it's an amazing concept. And, and I fully support you on the mission to go and doing it. It's just a tall order. It's like going to the moon. I support Elon Musk going to the, going to Mars. I, I don't want to be the guy making the, the rocket ships. It's, uh, but I would, I, I definitely support it. And I'll be there at launch, and I'll count down with him, and I'll I will do that. And just trying to hopefully inspire anybody that's listening or yourself to say, like, this is great. How do you do that? It's I'd love to find out how that is because that that's you want to talk about literally saving the world, right? You can, and everyone saves the world in different ways. Sometimes we save families and the groups and communities, but that is a that is a global world saving thing if you can make that happen. So I think it's incredible. Is that? Is that your holy grail? Is that like, like if at the end of all of this stuff of you teaching people how to do proper design, inspiring them and letting them know how to, you know, the responsibilities that they have and what they can do, like what is, what is your holy grail uh, end goal that you've got um, for, for being in the world of design and, and human transformation? My holy grail. Um... What, okay, what's my life's work? It sounds no pressure like or anything. Uh, I, you know, I my life's work, I think, is what I'm really good at is that transformation of complex ideas into an experience. That's what I'm good at. And I have used for me, VR is a tool. Like I'm I'm not a true believer. I have a headset back there, but it's, I, I, you know, I'll use anything. I'll use a sock puppet. Um, but I think that uh, VR is more fun than a sock puppet. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that, that where I want to go is I want to, I'm very interested in sharing what I've learned from building virtual worlds which is really a, an attitude about, it's taking um, the idea of, for example, experiential education and taking it to a, a, a kind of a, a next step. And, um, you know, it's, it's looking at the anatomy of, of an experience and what makes a human experience from, uh, from the, uh, 
from the the neuroscience and from the story concept and from the the archetypes and the culture and the psychology and the personal and the interpersonal. Uh, it's really that's the work that I'm doing now, and um, I am. People can find me. So my last name is Rose Howard Rose, uh, HowardRose.net, uh, and I am. Uh, starting a blog that people can come and check out. It's called Anatomy of Experience. And uh, it's really looking and exploring in this way, throwing out some ideas about things that, uh, you know, things that I've seen, things that I've built, things that I just think are out there that are interesting. Uh, I've got a pretty good knowledge of the research in VR and health and psychology, and I'm going to offer you know, sort of, hey, check out this citation. Because there's a lot of great work. There's a lot of great research going on, but it's not getting translated. Uh, and so part of my part of my work is to help translate, uh, you know, the research, tra translate the psychology and the neuroscience uh, into something that people can, wow, I can use that. Uh, nobody's going to go and read those papers. Um, uh, but but there's some great there's some great things and there's some great researchers out there and so doing that translation for people uh, mm -hmm. in, in and telling that story and designing some you know kick-ass new environments uh, that's what I'm about. I love that. Yeah, to me, to me, it sounds like you're on the path of the mentor. You've gone through your own hero's journey. You've lapped around. You visited your own community, and now you're over at a hut waiting for the next hero to come along the path. Going, hey man, you want to, you want to come this way? I've got some things to tell you. Step into my hut. I'll show you. I'll, I'll, well, I'll show you how to. Or maybe it's a, a blog hut, you know. So. Yeah, you know, it's it's a journey. I mean, that's the part of the, about the journey, the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. It's not. I don't have all the answers, but uh, I'm a little bit ahead because I started a little earlier and. Uh, it's just like I, I want to explore it because I think the more that we explore it and expose the really positive things and just look at, look over there, look at that negative thing, <laughs> that persuasion, that, the, you know, the, the negative uses of it, the more we understand it and shine some light there, yeah. the more that people are going to be aware of it uh, rather than just go, oh, my God, this is, this is the best technology since sliced bread. Everything about it is great. I think that's just not realistic and it has not been true about any technology up to date. And so it sure as hell is not about, you know, VR is not all, uh, you know, it's not, it's not all positives. So let's just, let's just put it out there, be honest about it, uh, talk about it. So people are aware and push it in the most positive direction we can. That's beautiful. It's all we can do with technology. Take it and, and use it for what we can and spread the message. And I mean, that's that's really that's all you can do in the space of of using this stuff is say, hey, here's here's what I stand for. Here's what I do. Here's how I use it and inspire other people to do the same. I mean, that's what you know, that's what mentors do. And that's what, you know, people that are on the path with. So, uh, Howard, I really appreciate this time with you, man. Um, uh, I hope people do reach out for what you're doing. And um, yeah, is there any any last words or things you want to let people know about before we sign off? Uh, yeah, well, just please come visit me, howardrose.net. 
uh, or you can find it under anatomyofexperience.com. And uh, yeah, if you would uh, come and check it out and leave comments and um, let's develop uh, the conversation. Let's really make it work. Love it. Thank, thank you, Howard. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I wish you the best. Take care. You too. Well, take care, brother. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.